Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee in the Corral. I'm Abigail Hobbs. It is an absolutely beautiful morning. We had a, a nice cool spell overnight, so it hasn't gotten too hot yet. The horses are, at the moment, napping peacefully, but when I first came out here, they were very needy. They were all, like, surrounding me, circling me, asking me for itches and attention, and really cute, because, you know, I feel like I gave them the attention they needed, and now they went off to take a nap, so, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I should, food for thought, you know. Maybe if I give my kids what they need, they'll go take a nap. (laughs) Sorry, I just, it was an epiphany. I'm going to try it. Anyways, um, uh, I was just sitting here thinking, am I ready to start this podcast? And honestly, I never truly feel ready. Um, Especially talking about my, my life story. It's always like, every time I... thought about it this morning, I just have to take a deep breath and trust that the stories I need to tell will come out. And, um, you know, it's not about me having everything perfectly figured out to be able to explain it to you. It's more just a a vulnerable space that I I'm allowing myself to process some of the stories of my childhood, I should say. There's so much. Like, I could talk way longer, and the story could be the stories could be way longer, and there's so many more, but I'm just kind of trying to pick out the ones that um, were more impacting on my life and um, that, I, that I need to kind of think about and process through. So anyways, um, I hope everybody had a good week. Uh, last week I ended, I believe, talking about, um, we lived in Geneva for a year and we had bought that house and we had families living with us. Well, I'm not going to explain all of the logistics of it, but apparently, you know, and I was, I was 13 at the time. Um, apparently some families in Tennessee, West Tennessee heard about our church and kind of the uh, very unique way that we were building a community. So they came down to visit. They fell in love with it, and they said, please, can you can you all move up to West Tennessee? We have property there. Um, the There was a couple that owned, I don't know, I think it was close to 100 acres. Um, and they said, we will build an addition onto the small farmhouse we already have, we want to we want you guys to come up here and do community with us, teach us how to do it, um, you know, help us build a church here. So what happened is all of the families in Geneva ended up quitting their jobs, selling their houses, and moving up to West Tennessee. And my family did the same thing. Some fam you know, and, and some families went almost right away, like the leader and his family and a he picked a couple families they left almost immediately um and then other families left 
as they sold their houses. So within a year, everybody had moved up there. And my family was one of the last ones to go. Um, my dad worked at NASA. Um, so he worked there for 14 years as a firefighter. And it was a really good job. I mean, as far as it was stable and it paid good. And he had a long drive because we never lived close to that. But anyways, it was a decent job. And he would have gotten a really good um, retirement from it. But, you know, now that you live in this um, community and you're supposed to, you know, it was considered worldly to have a good paying job and make money, really. Um, so he quit his job and uh, we sold our house and we moved. So my dad bought this really old, old RV and uh, fixed it up a little somewhat and we got rid of a lot of our stuff got rid of all of our animals and uh that was really sad for me I remember crying a lot my mom had three Arabians and uh she sold them all and I remember that watching that be hard in her too but she always said you know this is what God wants me to do God wants me to go be with these people and um my mom really loved horses so I know that was hard for her, but, you know, I just was like, okay, I guess this is more important, you know. So anyways, we moved up to West Tennessee, and the couple that had this property was an older couple, and they had a lot of kids. They had a lot of kids, but most of them were like foster kids, and then some were adopted. Anyways, the within the year that we had not moved up yet, the first few families that moved up, they worked to build an addition onto the farmhouse that was on the property. So by the time our family moved up, they had built this addition with all these rooms and bathrooms and a big, um, like, eating area down in the at the basement in the basement level. So the name <laughs> I don't know who came up with the name, but it became known as Masham Inn. Okay, so a hundred people lived in this house and that's how many people that were crammed into the house now mind you there were lots of other people that lived outside the house in RVs and buses um, sheds there was <laughs> my husband Nate and some of his friends their age group there was no place for them so they actually lived slept in a pontoon boat for a while until they renovated a chicken house <laughs> and turned it into a bunkhouse. So the boys lived in the bunkhouse. Um, and there was, I don't know how many rooms. There's a good amount of rooms and bathrooms. But literally, people were crammed in. 100 people crammed into this house. I was put in a room with seven other girls. There was one loft bed. But it had made, it was made really big. So I... There was two mattresses that fit side by side. And I don't know the size. I don't know if they were twins or queens or what they were. But I just know um, it was a huge loft that extended mostly across the room that we were in to be able to fit all of us girls in there. So we all slept up on that loft. And it was always a bummer if you were in the middle because you were in the crack between the mattresses. But we, I mean, literally just put them in like, so we slept side by side, one, two, three, just smashed in so that we could all fit up in the loft. 
Um, there wasn't a lot of room for any belongings, you know, just basically your clothes. And uh, that was my new life. Now, suddenly I wasn't living in a house with my family. I was living in a house with 100 people in a room with seven other girls um, smashed up on a loft. And my parents lived out in an RV a good ways from the house. Um, they had parked in a area where there were several other buses where other families were living. And um, I think my younger siblings lived with my parents in the RV. And me and my two older sisters, we were putting mash them in. So we were spread out among that. And I'm, I look back at this and I'm just amazed at how well I adapted because the situation was crazy. Um, but it was so chaotic and it just happened. Life just happened so quickly and all these decisions were made and then, okay, all right, all right, now we're doing this, that I, I just kind of gotten used to the chaotic lifestyle and you just did the best you could. Um, but in order for that many people to function in that small of an area, um, and mind you, most of the guys and families that moved up to Mashaman didn't move up with jobs in place. They moved up with no job. So the guys would go dumpster diving and get whatever food they could get out of dumpsters to be able to feed everybody as they were trying to look for jobs and, you know, the jobs that they could start getting didn't pay a lot anyways. So we needed food. So we ate from dumpsters and um, we had a schedule. So the ladies put together a cook clean off schedule. Um, so if you're, it was your cook day, you had to cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner with a team of ladies and girls. And if it, you had to cook all the meals and if it was your clean day, same thing, you had to clean up all the meals and then you had one day off. I, I, one thing about me, I don't enjoy being in the kitchen. I do feel like I'm good at cooking. I've learned how to cook some really good food, but I don't enjoy being in the kitchen. I never have. And I, I told you guys that, you know, like growing up, I didn't like to be inside. I want to be doing outside chores. So this was like a torture prison zone for me because when you're on cooking for a hundred people, you never leave the kitchen. You're cooking all day. And when you're cleaning for a hundred people, you basically never leave the kitchen. You're cleaning all day. And then you have your one day off. And that was like my day of freedom. Like, uh, I would try to just be outside all day long. But in the midst of this, all the parents were like, okay, well, like nobody's schooling anymore. We need to figure out school. So they decided school was bad, but we will, we will, you know, school our kids in community. We'll call it manna. This is manna from heaven. So real legit schooling was done away with. And random adults started like, well, I shouldn't say random. It was, you know, like the leader's wives and important people would take up teaching certain subjects to everybody, but they made it all about God. It was all about body life, community, you know, so our, we didn't, I don't, we didn't get math class or English class. I do remember somebody taught geography for a little bit. Um, I don't remember anything I learned because all I can remember is that the lady that taught it wore 
these earrings that were globes of like the world. And we were just all shocked because we couldn't believe somebody was wearing earrings because earrings were bad. And you weren't allowed to wear earrings because it was worldly. So we were just like <gasps> aghast that this lady had wore these globe earrings when she taught geography is trying to inspire us. But unfortunately, we don't remember anything we learned. We just remembered how sinful she was. <laughs> and then we were jealous. Like, how does she get to do that? We're not allowed to wear earrings. Anyways, just craziness. Um, so yeah, our schooling was taken away. We were taught these subjects that were supposedly like going to be along the line, same lines as, the, as, you know, math, English, science, history, geography, all that. But instead it was all about religion. Um, and in that terms. So anyways, um, it was crazy. It was just chaos. And I have so many weird mixed emotions about that time. Um, also, I didn't have any friends when I moved up because all the families before that moved before me, they made new friends and then they had boyfriends. And, and so when I moved up, the boyfriend that I had had, he liked other, these other girls and all my other friends, like my best friends, they had made new best friends. So I remember being really, it was really very sad time for me because I feel like I lost all my friends. And then to top it off, we moved up. Like we weren't, we, uh, because my family um, also was just, you know, like my mother was a drill sergeant and everything was about obedience and respect. So we were very obedient, respectful children. Um, we were taught to be very, <laughs> unfortunately, that creates really judgmental uh, humans. But uh, we moved up and I remember all my peers called my sisters and I the Bible girls, you know, because we had, my mom had taught us to memorize so much of the Bible and uh, we were, the, you know, goody two shoes and they were kind of sneaking off and making out or whatever and, and we were the goody two shoes. And so I felt isolated. Nobody, I didn't have any friends anymore. I felt alone and, and I felt confused because I didn't have my parents involved in my life anymore, literally at all hardly I would see them you know in and out but they weren't involved in my life um and I was really confused and really sad I spent a lot of time crying and just feeling lonely um which is crazy because I lived in the house of 100 people but you guys know what I mean it's not about the people right it's the connections so during this time I made friends with this very um unique individual that used to come visit and I think he was a I think he was a had some sort of disability um to say and I don't really know what it is but um you know a lot of a lot of the, my peers made fun of him and didn't like to be around him and thought he was creepy and stuff but I made friends with him and um I just I cared about people and, and and so he was really kind and he let me borrow his horse. He had a horse. He let me borrow his horse to ride. And so I started getting into horses. And even though I grew up with horses, um, they weren't my passion. But suddenly I became really interested in them. And I think a large part of that was I was so lonely and confused um, and living such a chaotic life. I was searching for something that could, I could, that could be mine you know, something that was meaningful to me. And I just fell in love with this horse. Her name is Misty. She was a white horse. And that just made me think, I want to, I want a horse. I want to buy my own horse. 
So I came up with an idea to, and I don't know if this was just all my idea or if my parents helped me or whatever, but anyways, I ended up having my own little business called a snack shack and I would buy bulk items from Sam's and then have a little shed that was by my parents RV that I would set up my little store inside and people would buy candy bars and soda from me. And I saved up my money to buy a horse this way. And I ended up saving up enough money to go looking for a horse and my parents took me and I found, and this is when I found Shiloh. And so now I'm 14 years old and um, it was interesting because when we went to go looking for a horse, I had originally found this horse in the newspaper and it was a Tennessee Walker and I was real excited. So my family loaded up to go look at this horse and it ended up being like half blind and I was crying on the way home and I was like, what's the matter? And I was like, I just wanted, I wanted to buy that horse. I just wanted a horse so bad. I didn't even care if it was blind. And my mom was like, you don't want a blind horse. Like that's not a good idea. And I just couldn't stop crying. I just felt so desperate. So we're driving. My dad's like, what do you want me to do? Just and he just points to this pasture that have a couple horses in. Just you just want me to turn in there and ask him if they have a horse for sale? Like, what else do you want from us? And I was like, Yes, I do. And he's like, Okay. And he whips the vehicle around. I was like, What? Totally shocked. And we went up to the house, and my dad asked him if they had any horses for sale, and he said, Yeah, that one right out there. And it was Shiloh. And. uh I rode her one time, got on and rode her, and I was sold before I even rode her. I just wanted a horse so bad, and she was beautiful, beautiful black, black-brown horse, and she was a mess. When I rode her, she was just trying to gallop the whole time, and um, the guy that, the young the young man, he was going into college that had owned her, he raced her against his buddies a lot, and so she just thought her whole job in life was to run really fast, and she was beautiful and sleek and gorgeous, and she could just go so fast and it was just yes I wanted this horse so um within a month we were able to pick her up and that got me through so much hell of my life once I got Shiloh um I just any spare moment I had I was out with Shiloh and I want you to picture what this was like though because at the time of my life you know, we're wearing dresses and head coverings. And it's full hilt modesty, you know. So if you're wearing a dress, and you wear leggings underneath just in case your dress comes up. And so I, but I, that was not going to stop me from riding. I rode Shiloh. We galloped the fields, the roads for miles in a huge dress and a head covering on my head and a helmet over my head covering. <laughs> Uh, I have some pictures of it. It's kind of funny to look back at that like, wow. But it did nothing could stop me. And she instantly became my best friend. Because I, I went from being so lonely and, and sad to I had this horse. So I confided in her. And any spare moment that I wasn't cooking and cleaning, I was out with my horse. Just spending time with her. And I remember like my friends would go off and do stuff and I would just be off with my horse. And... You know, it was still sad because I wanted that human connection and it, I felt re- rejected by my friends. But I remember just being like, I got you, Shiloh. Like, it's okay. Um, 
so we lived there for a year and then I don't know I, I'm, I'm not sure what all came down what we were told is that the leaders were speaking into the lives of the family that owned the property that had invited us to move up there were speaking into their lives and telling them things about themselves that they needed to change and they didn't want to listen so they kicked us off their property now I'm not sure what the <laughs> entire story is but um, they got angry and told us we had to move so now we were only there one year and everybody had to pick up and find somewhere else to go and one of the guys ended up finding this property that was 100 acres that was probably I don't know 15 20 minutes away from where we were and it was a huge old cow pasture and it had no electric well it had one old farmhouse right when you drove in that basically needed to be demolished um, everything else was just an overgrown cow pasture with cow bones everywhere and just the it was so overgrown that I remember the first time we went to go look at the property that I was with my dad and some other people um, the weeds were above my head so we had to stick together because you could get lost in this property and you couldn't see where you were at and you know there was like no roads and no trails and anyways long story short we all picked up and moved off of their property onto this cow pasture that had and we moved up onto the hill part of it where there was no electricity and there was no water so um, people would drive into town and buy water and my parents set up a tent um, you know the RV couldn't get hooked in or anything like that because there was none of that so we lived in a tent for several months and from my perspective you know as a now 15 year old I wasn't that bothered because I didn't have to clean the house every day there was some, I just had to sweep the tent I was like yes I would sweep the tent and then I would disappear on the hundred acres for the rest of the day so um, eventually of course we dug a well and got electricity and all that took time took a lot of time but in the middle of that move you know I still had my one steady thing which was my horse so no matter what from this point on I had my horse and I would just go spend all day with her and um, she was she was my rock and this year she died she was um, 34 years old and when I when I bought her she was nine <clears throat> so I had her 25 years and um, she was with me longer in my life than I've been without her and uh, you know I've, I've been through a lot of shit in my life and there's a lot of more stories and and some of them I won't I won't share because they're too personal and, and private but um, she was my safe space that I always went to and the only the only thing I could depend on that wasn't gonna tell me I was a sinful selfish person and um, you know she always just accepted me however I felt in that moment and if you have animals you know how this feels uh, but she's my best friend and so 
I was able to cope with a lot because um, she was my she was my my I don't know like she was my teacher she was my best friend she was my soulmate all the things anyways um when we moved on to the the property the the cow pasture I was 15 and really didn't do any more schooling it was so weird because it was so much about community life and learning okay now this is God wants us to do this now we're God's people and um we looked so weird by the way and there were so many rumors going on around about us that somebody had called um DHS and oh my gosh this is Luquette <laughs> one of our cats over here is playing with the cord on my headset hello uh, they had called DHS on us and reported like kids being abused and not being taken care of and so there was a day that like I don't know like eight big vans pulled up and everybody was uh, every child was taken aside by social workers and um, questioned alone away from the parents and you know at the time we were told this is the best life. We actually had a song that said, we're the happiest people on the face of the earth. And that was what was told to us every day. Like, you are the luckiest people, you're going to heaven, and we're the happiest people. And this life you get to live is so amazing, nobody else gets this but you. You're super special. So, of course, when we're being interviewed and stuff, we just, we're just regurgitating all of that. And so the social worker's like, wow, these kids are really happy. What they didn't know is we were really brainwashed um, because looking back, knowing now what I know now, even at that time, there were kids being abused in many terrible ways, but nobody said it because we were so brainwashed. And I'm really sad that DHS wasn't able to pick up on that. But that's just good to tell you that that's, I mean, we looked so weird and, and we were always told, oh yes, there's these rumors going around because, you know, Satan's trying to get to us, but God, and look at that. He saved us from DHS and, 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 uh, oh my gosh, just guys, so much bullshit, so much chaotic bullshit. Uh, I, it's hard to make sense of, but during those years, like there was no more schooling. I remember I turned 18 and my mom gave me a GED book and said, here, study this and go take your GED. And I hadn't done actual schooling since I was 14. Um, but you know, you, you do what you got to do. So I did it. And, um, it's weird to look back on all of those stories and be like, oh my God, what kind of parent does that? What kind of parent gives away the parenting to other leaders? What kind of parent sends their kid off when they're 14 to go live in a house with 100 people? So many unhealthy uh, dynamics. So I'm going to stop there for today. Um, but I also know, like I look at all that and I'm like, something was really wrong with my parents. My mom was really unhappy. She was really unhappy in her marriage. Um, she was searching for something. I think she was searching for meaning in life. And these people promised it to her. And then they brainwashed her. And um, so she was able to do the things she did because 
she was told this, these are the right things to do. And she cut off all of her family to go join, you know, the real family, the body of Christ. So, I don't know. It's wild. So I can, as much as I'm like, I can't believe my parents were so terrible. At the same time, I'm like, what was going on in their, in them? They, they must have had some massively, um, some massive trauma. Uh, I know my mom did and, you know, never dealt with it. And in Christianity, we're told, oh, God just heals everything. And my dad, he was um, absolutely just a fucker. So, um, I don't know. I'm listening to a podcast right now. I just started it. I haven't finished it. It's, um, it's one of Glennon Doyle's. It's amazing, but it's about basically understanding why we parent our kids the way we do, learning how to look back at that and reparent ourselves and break the cycle so we don't parent our kids in the unhealthy patterns the way that our parents did us, you know. Um, so I haven't finished it yet. I'll, I'll have to get the name of it so I can uh, tell you guys what it is next week. But that's what I want to do. That's my goal. And part of this, I feel like important, the importance of being able to look back at my past and look back at these stories and process through them is so that I can understand myself better and understand why I feel and why I act and do the things I do, but also to be able to rewrite that, reframe it, um, and reparent myself, go back to that girl and give her what she needs and what she needed in that time that she didn't get. And then be different for my kids. I want to do my very best. And you know, I don't know. People say, you know, well, every parent does the best they could with the tools they had. I don't know if I agree with that 100%. Um, I think some people are just bad. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that like, oh, well, everyone's just doing the best they can and they just loved you the best they could. No, I think that some people get lied to and brainwashed and I think some people are just fuckers. So you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. <laughs> I am really grateful um, for those of you that have uh, encouraged and supported me during telling my me telling my my life story um, and I just continue to hope that it will encourage other people and um, yeah I love all of you I hope you have a good week I will talk to you next week all right have a great day and the cows are saying goodbye too <laughs> okay peace out if I wrote it in a song would you believe it more? If I busted at the lock, would you open the door? If I dare to speak my truth, would you still value me? If I reach my hand to you, would you reach it back to me? Darling, there's no reason why 
you should have to hide. Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there.